And our scripture reading for this morning comes from two different places. The first will be Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And the second will be from Philippians 2. First reading from Psalm 32, a psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silence, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And turning to Philippians chapter 2, we'll read the first 11 verses. Philippians chapter 2, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This far, our scripture reading, and in connection with these two passages, we will also read the Heidelberg Catechism this morning, and Lord's Day 14, which you can find in the back section of your Psalter on page 42. Page 42 in the back section of your Psalter, Lord's Day 14. And here we read question 32. What is the meaning of these words? He was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. The answer is that God's eternal Son, who is and continues true and eternal God, took upon him the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, that he might also be the true seed of David, like unto his brethren in all things, sin accepted. And question 36 asks, What profit do you receive by Christ's holy conception and nativity? And the answer is that he is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sins, wherein I was conceived and brought forth. <clears throat> That's that last section there, covers in the sight of God my sins, is quoting in Psalm 32. The dear congregation... Excuse me. After the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, as we considered last Sunday, there are various accounts of how he appeared to his people. And on one particular occasion, there are two disciples returning home from Jerusalem to their town of Emmaus. And as they were walking along, they were sad. They were talking about all the events that happened. And the Lord Jesus came and began to walk along with them and asked them what they were talking about. And so they began to explain and he said, have you not heard everything that has happened, how the Lord Jesus Christ was captured and condemned and crucified? And, and then they said, we were hoping, or we trusted, that it was he that was going to redeem Israel. Just like all the other Israelites, they had their hopes set on a, a redeemer, one who would deliver them from the Romans or from their predicaments that they were in. And they're looking for an earthly redeemer. And he said he was supposed to be our deliverer. And so there's all these questions of why was he crucified? And then further to that, there was the, the, the questions surrounding what the angels, the angels meshes to the women that said that he had risen from the dead, that he was no longer in the grave. And as Jesus walks with them, he says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the scriptures and the, well, the prophets have spoken of. And then the Lord Jesus began to explain to these two disciples. He began at the beginning of Moses, with the books of Moses. He began to explain to them how scriptures have prophesied how the Lord Jesus would come, how he would die for the sins of his people. He would come to deliver them from their sins, not necessarily from the Romans. And that is why David could sing, as we read in Psalm 32, that blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That is what he would come to do. 
Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven in the sight of Christ, in the sight of God, through the blood of Christ. And that in His, in the sight of God, we can be covered with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so the Lord Jesus has come to deliver and redeem us, but to deliver and redeem us from our sins. It was promised in the Scriptures. And the Lord Jesus began that work when He came down from heaven and when He was conceived in the womb of Mary and born into this world. And just like Jesus was explaining all of the Scriptures outline to these uh, travelers, we also need to understand the whole picture of, of why Jesus first came as a little child into this world and then to die on the cross. And I have chosen to switch the catechism sermons for a while into the morning service because of the time period that we are at, just right after Easter, these sermons, these catechism sermons are dealing now with uh, the Lord Jesus' uh, um, states of humiliation and exaltation. As he, as he came into this world, how He was born, how He died, He rose again, and how He will ascend into heaven. So I want to take the mornings to consider this. And this is also something that we uh, confess in the Apostles' Creed, and that's what the, the catechism really is dealing with, is what the Apostles' Creed here means. And the word specifically, as we read in the catechism, was he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And so our theme for this morning then is faith in Christ's incarnation. Faith in Christ's incarnation, which is also part of faith in Christ as he died on the cross. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, we see that, that described for us how Christ descended into this world, into the depth, into that darkness, and then later on again ascended into heaven. And specifically from verse 6, let's read that again from Philippians chapter 2. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And he, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. There is the descent. And therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." That's what we confess as, as essential to our faith. And this is what we confess every Lord's Day afternoon in the Apostles' Creed as well. In uh, the past sermons, we've considered the first section, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. And just a summary of where we've come from, then as a refresher, in Lord's Days 11, 12, and 13, we've considered the names of the Lord Jesus. We've considered the name of, 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 of Jesus, which means Savior. And then of Christ. Christ, that means anointed one. How he was anointed as prophet, as priest, and of king. And then we've taken some time looking at what that means, that Christ was the priest. What, what he 
what the requirements were for a priest and how he offered himself up as a sacrifice. And we also still have uh, two sermons at least left dealing with Christ as priest. But now, here beginning in, in Lord's Day 14, the Catechism moves us from looking at who Jesus is in his names, understanding his names, to understanding his work, his, the, the work that he came to do on this earth. And it deals specifically with what's called the states of Christ. And when you speak about the states, there's, there's two two specific states, and we see that in Philippians. It's, the one is his humiliation, where he came into this world, and the second is his exaltation, where he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and will come again. And so what does that really mean? What do the states mean? Well, the word states comes from the Latin, and it refers to someone's status. It refers to one's legal standing with respect to the justice of God, and that's important to think about. When you consider someone standing in a courtroom before a judge, and that a person will either be, be accused by, by the judge or declared innocent. So the judge will either declare him guilty or innocent. And if he's innocent, he can go free, but if he's guilty, then he'll be condemned and he must face the penalty. And in the state of humiliation is when the person is accused as guilty and condemned. And so the status is guilty with respect to the court of law. And when Jesus entered into this world, he entered into the state of humiliation, accused as guilty in the court of God's justice. His state, his status of humiliation began when he was conceived in the womb of Mary, his mother, before he was born, and that continued until he was buried in the grave. And so Jesus, while he lived on this earth, his whole life he lived as a condemned criminal. He lived his whole life under the sentence of death. He was accused as guilty and had to pay the penalty of death because of sin. But it's very important to understand it's not his sin. Christ was innocent. Christ was perfectly righteous. But it was because of the sins of his people that were laid upon him, as Isaiah says, the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And then when Christ paid that penalty on the cross, that was taken away, that curse was removed, that penalty was paid. And then he entered a second state of exaltation, of not guilty. And he rose from the grave. And so we see these two states that Christ went through, humiliation and exaltation. And each of these states are, are like a, a ladder, you could say. There's, there's steps to them. And this will be a bit of an overview of what is to come. Because in a state of humiliation... It begins with his incarnation, his, his being born into this world, conceived and born into the world. That's what I want to consider today in Lord's Day 14. But then the second step is his suffering on this earth, Lord's Day 15. And then his death and burial, which is covered in Lord's Day 16. And, then, and so he carried a state of humiliation from his birth to his death, to his burial. 
Then a state of exaltation began with the resurrection, which is covered in Lord's Day 17, his ascension into heaven, and then his session or setting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, and then finally his, his final coming again in the clouds of heaven. So you can see how the one hand he, he comes down, and the next he goes back up in, in glory. And that's what we wish to consider in these coming weeks as we also anticipate uh, remembering the ascension uh, of Christ. And so we see that the incarnation is really the entrance into this humiliation. Christ entered this state of humiliation when he entered into this world. The incarnation means that the Son of God, who is fully God, he assumed or he took upon himself human nature in addition to his divinity. Paul says this is a great mystery. God manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And this is what John speaks about when he says that the Word was made flesh. The Word, the Son of God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so this doesn't mean that God changed into a person. He, he remained God. That The Son of God does not change because God cannot change. But He added to Himself human nature. He entered into a state that He had not been in before. And that's where He entered that state of humiliation. Another important thing to remember is it's not the fact that He became a man that causes humiliation. Because God created man good and upright. And today Jesus still has a glorified body in heaven. So that in itself is not the humiliation. But He entered a state of humiliation because He took upon Himself the sins of His people. And He was made guilty in that sense. Those sins rendered Him guilty. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He voluntarily placed Himself under that curse and in that condition. As we read in Philippians 2, that Christ made Himself of no reputation. He took upon Him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, He humbled Himself. And so you see the voluntary act of Christ as He was sent by God to do this. And then He died on the cross as an accursed criminal, made to be sin, seen to be sin by His Father because of the sins laid upon Him. And it's because of that, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, because it is written, everyone, or cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. He died the accursed death. And so Jesus humbled himself by entering the status of a condemned criminal in his father's court instead of a favored son, so that he could carry your sins to the grave, so that he could cover your sins with his perfect righteousness. So then the question is, well, how did Jesus enter this world, as we've been alluding to? 
Galatians says God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Children, you know the story well. And that's how we received this human nature. It was through the birth given by the Virgin Mary, but He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that's how He was also God. The angel came to Mary in Luke 1 and said, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. The power of the highest shall overshadow you. And therefore also that Holy One which shall be born shall be called the Son of God. And that's why Jesus was without sin. He was without original sin. Original sin is imputed from Adam, passed down through all the generations. All human beings are born with what's called original sin. But Christ was born without sin and without original sin because He was created in the womb of Mary, not by an earthly father, not by a sinful father, but by the Holy Spirit of God. And so what Christ was, was two human natures in the one person of Jesus Christ, both fully man and fully God. We can't fully comprehend what that means or how God put that together, but it's God and man together in one person, Jesus Christ. And why was that necessary? Why does God need to be both full? What does Jesus need to be both fully God and fully man? Well, He came to be the mediator. He came to be the mediator between God and man. And in order to be the mediator between God and man, you need to be able to come. You need to be able to associate with both sides. You need to be able to meet the demands of a holy God. You need to be able to relate with the needs of the people. And to carry their sin is what he did. Christ would come to be obedient for us and to cover our sins. And for that, he needed himself to be a perfect, holy, and a just man. We need a human righteousness to cover our unrighteousness in the sight of God. It's our human nature that was created to glorify God and to worship God and to obey God. It's our human nature that needs to pay the penalty of sin. It's our human nature that needs to be put to death because of sin. And so Christ in His human nature needed to, be, to die for our sins. And so Christ had to be perfectly human in order to obey the law for us and to pay the penalty in our place. He humbled Himself. He came in the likeness of men born of a woman, to be our mediator. And the mediator stands in between two parties who are uh, uh, opposed to each other, two separated parties, God and humanity, a holy God and a sinful people. We cannot go to God. We considered that in the last couple of weeks, how God must deal with all sin, must punish our, all our sin. But Jesus is the one who comes to God as a man, on behalf of men, to reconcile them together, to bring these two parties back together again. And he does that by covering our sin. The sin that separates us from God needs to be taken away. He paid for that on the cross. He turned away God's anger, and he turned God's favor towards this world again. 
and he covers our sins by his innocence and his perfect righteousness so that we can be found accepted in the sight of God by faith. Our sin entered this world through Adam's disobedience already in paradise. And that penalty, that curse has been passed down ever since paradise. And we're all born under the curse and the broken law. We cannot escape that. We are born into this world under that penalty of death. And every one of us is born with that original sin that we cannot escape. David complained about that in Psalm 51. I was shapen in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. And so every one of us enters into this world in a state of humiliation. That means guilty under the broken law of God and subject to the penalty of death. And that's what we all need to learn. Because until we realize that, we won't do anything about it. And when God teaches us to see our sin, it's usually our actual sin that He begins with. He convicts us of our sin. And He shows us how we have broken His commandments. It's one of the reasons that we also read the commandments every Sunday, every Lord's Day. We, we know what we're faced up against. But it's also what to guide us in this life. But if you think of the Lord Jesus, when he came to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he, he said to her, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. He, he pointed out her sin. When he came to Paul, to Saul on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, you are persecuting me when you're killing these Christians. When he sent Nathan to David, the prophet, he said, David, you are the man. You are the one who committed adultery with Uriah, with Bathsheba, and you're the one who, who killed Uriah because of it. You are the guilty one because of your sin. A lot of times our first reaction is to, to try and fix the problem, to try and make ourselves better, or to try and put away the obvious sins because we don't like to be seen as sinners, especially not in, in the church, right? But we know our conscience convicts us. And the more we try, the more we see how our sin just oozes out of our heart. You may be able to put it away in one spot, but it'll come up somewhere else. That's not just our actions. It's our thoughts that are evil. We learn to see that we sin because we are sinful. We are corrupt by nature. This is who we are. We are bent to sin unable to do any good ourselves, guilty of breaking all the commandments of, of God in desire, if not by reality. And we're guilty even by the sins of omission, the, the, the things that we don't do but we should do, like live, love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. How have we ever been able to do that? But then we learn to see that we cannot save ourselves. Because the law says, keep this law perfectly, or you will die. Curses every man who does not continue in all the things in the book of the law to do them. We learn to see that we are guilty before God. Guilty before God even when we are born. And then we know that even our convictions, 
Even our tears, even our desires to know God are not enough to save us. That's no salvation itself. But our hearts are a fountain of sin and evil. And even the good that we try to do, uh, Jeremiah says, or Isaiah says, is like filthy rags in the sight of God. All stained with sin. And this is all meant to show us that we need the Savior, that we need the Deliverer who can save us from our sins and to cover us, both our actual sins, but also our original sins, all the hidden sins of the heart and mind. And both adults and babies all need the same Deliverer. We all need our sins forgiven. So how then does the incarnation of Christ profit you? How does that then apply to you? Isn't that what the catechism is getting at here too? In question 36, what profit do you receive from Christ's holy conception and nativity? What does that mean for me? And the answer is that, our media- that He is our mediator. That with His innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sins wherein I was conceived and brought forth. I, born, conceived in sin, need to be covered even from then, to cover all my sins from my conception to my death. And this is what David could sing about. Blessed is, the ma- is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David learned to, to, to experience this. And this is what Christ came to do, to be that mediator, And to do that, Jesus began where we began, in the womb. So to understand the sufferings of Christ on the cross, we need to understand His incarnation as well. That He made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, the coming in the likeness of men. Jesus began His life in the womb of His mother Mary, just like you and I began our life in the womb. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit without sin because we were conceived there with sin. He spent those nine months in the womb. He was born and laid in a manger with ordinary clothes in the most humble and simple setting because of our sin. He humbled Himself with no reputation, because from, the, from our youngest age, our sin of pride rises up. We want to be God. That's what Adam and Eve sinned when they took of the fruit. They, they saw that it could make them like God. Our pride rises up against God. And that's why Christ had to come and be lower than even the lowest of us. He was born as a helpless little baby. His mother had to care for me. He is a God and creator of this world came to be held by his mother to be fed, to be nourished. He was weak. He was tired. He wept. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He suffered all the same things that we do. He faced the bitternesses of this life and experienced everything because of the curse of sin in this world that we have earned. And so he's a real human being, with a real body, with a real soul, with a real will, with a real mind, with a real intellect like we do. And he came to be a partaker of the human nature so that he could live without sin in perfect obedience to the law. Children, the Lord Jesus Christ as a little child obeyed his parents perfectly because you and I don't. Because of our sin, 
He obeyed his parents because we are guilty of dishonoring our parents, breaking the commandments, and he would take the punishment that you and I deserve. He died on the cross because we have sinned against our parents and against God. And he lived in this state of humiliation, even though he himself was innocent. As a man, he was born under the penalty of the broken law so that he could face death for you, so that he could come and cover your sins and wash them with his blood. Galatians 4 says, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You see, these disciples, they had hoped, they had trusted that Jesus would redeem them. But here now, when Jesus explains this, their hopes are rekindled. And when Jesus explained the Scriptures, and now they know that it was the Lord Jesus who would redeem them, but He first had to die on the cross because He was not going to redeem them from the Romans, but from the wrath of God against their sin. He's going to redeem them from destruction. And when He paid that price on the cross, then He could say, it is finished. It is done. It is accomplished. And He was laid in the grave and He buried the sins of His people there. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us on that cross. And this is what the Catechism is trying to explain, and this is what we see in the Word of God. He is our mediator. And with His innocence, with His perfect holiness, He covers our sins in the sight of God, covers my sins in which I was conceived and brought forth. So that's why Christ entered this world even in the womb as a little child, so that He can deliver us from the state of humiliation, from, our, from under the curse, from under our guilt. And he walked this life as a guilty and condemned sinner so that He can cover your sins, so that you can live and stand before God as forgiven, as not guilty. And what a mercy that is that God would cover our sins for the sake of Jesus Christ, that He willingly laid down His life, willingly humbled Himself to that lowest place to wash away our sin. So that when we must meet God, we do not need to meet Him with guilt and fear, but then to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ covered as children of God only because Christ humbled himself, only because Jesus Christ took on the form of a servant and came in the likeness of men. Do you know that? Because David here also in Psalm 32 directs us how we are to be covered from all our sins. In verse 5 he says, I acknowledge my sin." to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It is that, that is how he then could sing, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is covered. When you cry out to the Lord for that forgiveness, 
He's able to forgive your sin and to wash them all away because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life, because he shed his blood for your sin. And now the Lord Jesus calls you to turn from your sins and to trust in Christ, not as an earthly king, not for deliverance on this earth that the Jews were initially waiting for, but from your sin in the sight of a holy God so that you can have eternal life. And when you find that forgiveness with God, you can also sing with David, as we will shortly do, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Do you know that? Do you walk in that peace? Do you walk in that salvation and forgiveness? Amen.